Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Amy, and we're still in the Beatitudes, which means that every week we're reading just one of the um, short phrases from Christ, um, but in a number of different Bible versions, which is kind of interesting, um, especially for some of them. And I think today's is one of those where you get to see a few different sides of perhaps what the original language is getting at. So today we're going to um, read Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the book of Matthew. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, you falsely, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, Count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Amy. Friends, let's pray together. Great God, great love, here we are. We show up with all of who we are to listen, to hear inside your voice, and help us to know you more and also to embrace our unknowing. Please, Spirit of God, use the words of a broken woman like myself for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So hi, friends. As Adam said, my name is Melissa, and I serve as an elder here. And this is a first for me, both preaching and preaching on Zoom. So it's so great to look out and see so many faces this morning. Um, I wanted to say I've discovered while preparing for this just how many little things happen behind the scenes to make the Zoom church happen. So I want to say a shout out to Sam, our, our host today, making all of those little breakout rooms happen. And I know Brad has done this, Kyle and Amy and so many of you. So thank you for making this happen every Sunday. So like Sherry said, we're in the Beatitudes and we've been doing this together with the kids, which is so cool. Um, and we're coming toward the end of the Beatitudes. These are the blessings that Jesus spoke to his followers early in his ministry. Um, and with the kids, we've we've really focused on how Jesus is on an actual mountain. So we've climbed with, with the kids, we've sat down with a crowd, we've looked around us, seen you know, poor, oppressed, hungry people who are basically the nothings of society. And we've heard Jesus giving them the assurances that they are the very hope and fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And we have a couple of sessions, I think, left of this series before Advent. I think next week we get to walk down the mountain with Jesus. So there's a teaser for next week. You can walk down and find out how Jesus is calling us to go into the world with the blessings we've been given. But here today, so we're at the end of the Beatitudes, and we're given these words. 
blessed are the persecuted. So like Sherry said, that, that word persecuted just feels huge to me. And when I, when I hear it, the best analogy I could come up with is it's like multi-ball in a pinball game, the part where suddenly a whole bunch of those little steel balls show up and start bouncing all around inside me on every possible level, bumping off things and stirring up all sorts of questions. Like, what does it mean when Jesus says persecuted? What does it look like to be persecuted because of righteousness? And how can we tell what that looks like? And then, honestly, I ask myself, who am I to even start to talk and think about persecution? And what misunderstandings am I starting off with or assumptions that I have? These verses also sort of feel like multi-ball to me because they take the energy up a notch. Suddenly, I'm sort of a little bit more nervous and panicking because they feel different from the rest of the Beatitudes. As I was reading through them, there's a sort of poetry to the Beatitudes, kind of a repetition, sort of a lilting feel. Um, and part of these words feel like that poetry, but then we get some more words from Jesus and they, they start to sound different. They talk of intensity and violence and insult and evil. And the word persecution itself, when I looked it up, it's not a ho-hum word in Greek. It's really a strong word. The root means, has the sense of someone pursuing something relentlessly, like unstoppably and passionately. And actually it can have a positive connotation, like pursuing righteousness relentlessly, or we can end up with this negative connotation that we see Jesus using here, the act of pursuing someone relentlessly in order to seek their harm. But either way it's used, this term isn't like subtle or gentle. It just feels like it changes the tone of the passage in this abrupt way that calls us to pay attention. So I'm grateful for this wake up call here because I feel like sometimes when I thought about this word, I realized I watered down the concept of persecution. I would say when I looked at myself, I don't experience persecution on a daily basis. And sometimes when I think about it, I might sort of slap a persecution label on things that don't deserve the honor. Now, the obvious example for my kids who are listening on a different computer is that persecution means having to do all the schoolwork that your mom assigns for home learning. And I tell them, hashtag first world problems, go do your schoolwork. But then in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm just a grown-up kid, and I exaggerate my own difficulties sometimes. Um, one of the examples that came to mind when I thought of my wrong, hurtful definitions of persecution was remembering back when I started anti-racism classes in college, and um, white fragility is really a tough thing to discover inside yourself. Um, and it often involves, the discovery involves the extreme bravery of friends of color. And people of color had to sort of shake me. They had to give me a wake-up call about my own harmful perspectives. And I had some angry moments when I felt very persecuted. I felt misunderstood, at least, in my intentions. So there's an also an even more disturbing thought for me that crops up when I think about persecution. And that is, 
what if what I call persecution is actually sometimes the natural consequences of my own behavior? Believe it or not, not everything that happens in the Dykeis family household all the time represents a healthy and reasonable choice of behavior. Sometimes one or all parties involved end up with consequences for our actions, and those can feel like persecution. And I can get a little scared then when I extrapolate that to all of Christianity and my choices as a Christian. And I worry that sometimes I, myself, and others may choose to use the label of Jesus's words here of you will experience persecution just to justify our own atrocious acts against others. And that unsettles me to my core. So I think the sharp tone of these words is actually sort of a gift. It's helpful for us as we read because it shakes us out of some of these simple definitions of persecution. This is not just a removal of our options or our liberties or our personal freedoms. And it's not temporary either. Jesus's words, as we see in this passage, he pulls in both the past and the future into the present moment. And it kind of gives it the weight of eternity. It's, it's a weight of both past and future in the present moment. So in this present moment, this sermon is being spoken to Jesus's followers at the beginning of his ministry, which is after the calling of some disciples and a few teachings and some miracles. And if you look at it, Jesus hasn't really done a lot of things that his followers might expect would lead to persecution. And he's sort of a rabbi on the mountainside talking to his followers. And you can kind of picture this sunny mountainside and the, the maybe like, I, I love this picture. All Souls meets on Chautauqua mountainside to talk about the scriptures sometimes. And I can just picture the grass, the green, the mountains, the, maybe the wind like today. Um, it just, it would feel a little strange to talk about persecution perhaps in that moment. But to some extent, these are the people who carry around forms of persecution as part of their everyday lives. They truly know persecution in the present moment because they have enemies. Um, thinking about these enemies that they have, our elder team recently studied the writings of Howard Thurman, who's the mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and Howard Thurman was a black pastor and he was speaking in, in these writings that we read. He was speaking to the oppressed peoples and he described the enemies of the disinherited people who followed Jesus around. He said they had personal enemies, they had traitors to the community that were like the Jews who became tax collectors. And then they had oppressors, the ruling Romans. And each of these categories would have persecuted the people listening to Jesus on a daily basis. So this was their present reality. And as Pastor Thurman pointed out, this is the reality of many disinherited people today. And that's why I feel like Jesus's words here and more importantly, so I've heard Pastor Adam and others use this term, the love ethic of Jesus's life that would make sense. That would sink in deep and matter to the oppressed people living back in Jesus's day and then living 
today with us in our present reality. But then, like I said, Jesus brings in a future reality of persecution. He says, you will be persecuted in the future because of Jesus. And when I heard that, I wondered if Jesus was, was looking forward to his own persecution and death. He knew this was ahead of him. It was intense and it was violent. And so he promised persecution. And with it, he promised blessing, reward, and the kingdom of heaven, which he himself was bringing. This is sort of a microcosm of his own death and resurrection and restoration. So I want to get to, we see the what and the why of the persecution that we can expect. Jesus states that it's going to happen because of Jesus, because of righteousness. So the question becomes, what does it look like to be persecuted for Christ's sake? Not just for our sake, not just the personal attacks or the offense against us. What does it look like to be persecuted for Christ's sake? And how will we know the difference? So the question and answer seem to hinge on on asking, what is righteousness? Well, the Greek word for righteousness used here, we've, we've seen it in the previous passage in the Beatitudes, and it carries the concept of the approval of God. What is right in God's eyes? And that feels like a huge question to me, like the whole Bible long question, what is right in God's eyes in some ways? And since, you know, it seemed like we had a lot of time and nobody told me how long I could speak, we're going to start in Genesis. No, just kidding. I will take this moment to advertise our scripture circles with Tara Owens are an amazing journey through understanding the questions we are asking as we read the scriptures. They are amazing. So please go sign up for them. That's a little plug. But here we will stay in this Beatitudes passage and look at the earlier mention of righteousness, where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So when I read this, I start to hear hunger and thirst as just these visceral, physical, just requirements to sustain our bodies. And they don't really seem optional to me. It's not like, okay, I'm going to choose this. It's more of a hunger, a thirst, a yearning inside me. Um, But as Jesus couples hunger and thirst with righteousness, I feel like he's setting up the idea that our embodied yearnings here can be trained and tuned toward righteousness. This is possible. We can do this. And we have Jesus's blessing for it, that we will be filled So now the question shifts. How do we train our embodied yearnings toward righteousness? Um, Nathan and I are still reading through James K.A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love, together. Um, The first chapter, as Nathan mentioned a few services ago, the first chapter's main idea is that we are shaped by what we love, but our loves can be trained And this sort of training, reordering of our loves is the work of the people of God. And it's what we call liturgy. So I'll say that again, we are shaped by what we love, but our loves can be trained. And that work is called liturgy. And we do this inside us internally, but we also do it in this community here. 
through tradition and imagination, through creativity and courage. And this work bears fruit in our reshaped loves. We see our loves reshaped and then they transform us and our community. So with that concept of righteousness as physical, visceral hunger and thirst that can be trained, now we look at this promised persecution. And we've heard about how Jesus, Jesus followers faced it in their present reality, and then they were promised it in their future. But now as we read the rest of Jesus's words, there's an important connection to the past here as well, through the prophets. So Jesus specifically, he doesn't leave us alone in our, our present with the promise of persecution now and in the future and says, go you, you can do it. You just shape all of your loves right and you'll be righteous and you can face that persecution. Um, instead, I, I find a weight put on the end of this passage as Jesus draws the past into the equation and he says, we will be persecuted in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before us. And now it seems like Jesus means this to be comforting, but I feel like it it sort of adds to the energy in my mind, the, the like the nervousness of, wait a minute, the prophets, they're not an easy act to follow. Um, a month ago in one of these scripture circles, Tara Owens shared the definition of the prophet, which is Navi in Hebrew, which means, and this was the definition she gave, and it was so beautiful, I want to share it with you. One who brings the eternal, active, living word of God into the present moment. I might say that again, because I feel like it's so important. One who brings the eternal, active, living word of God into the present moment. As the prophets do this, they are actively and passionately calling even the most obstinate parts of us to that radical reordering of our loves. When we look at the prophets, we see righteousness that looks like nothing we've ever seen before. Specifically, things like Amos, it looks like social justice, pursuing it relentlessly in the face of stubborn power structures. And it, it looks like the terrible burning red hot coal is how they describe it. The words of God are like a red hot coal in our mouths, in our hearts, on our tongues. And we bear that within us until we can't not speak those words. And it looks like Amos's justice rolling down like mighty waters, righteousness like an ever flowing stream. That to me sounds unstoppable inside and out. And this creates the sort of lived faith that will be persecuted, but not because it comes from somewhere or something that is inherently inside of me, but rather it's moved and directed by the unstoppable spirit of God. I have known people who knew that they would be persecuted for Jesus. They would be mocked, disinherited, and excluded from their communities. And what I remember most about those friends wasn't their fear or even the threats they faced. It was their words of conviction and bravery. Words that came from a place inside themselves that sometimes they themselves did not understand. There was one young man who his favorite verse was from Isaiah. It was, I have set my face like flint 
And that stuck with me in my heart and my mind. I remember he knew it, God wasn't promising everything would be easy, just blessings upon blessings for all those who followed. He was recognizing the daily reality of persecution, and yet he held out hope for God's strength through it. And that is my hope for all of us, that we would open ourselves to the Spirit's reordering of our loves and righteousness. That we would start to burn like this, like the prophets from the inside out. That we would carry God's unstoppable justice and righteousness into our world. That we'd be able to face this messy and complicated reality of persecution with faces like Flint knowing that to us is given the very body and blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. And to us is promised the kingdom of heaven. So let's pray together. God, great unstoppable righteousness. Here we are. And we want to be sent, God. We're looking forward to being sent into your world with your righteousness inside us, whatever that looks like. Move into our hearts and move us out, Spirit of God. We pray in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen.